Hi there, everyone. This is Jason with a quick programming note for you. We just wanted to warn you that you might hear some ominous footsteps in this recording. Our mics don't usually pick up too much aside from our voices, but for some reason, this week was an exception. Just wanted to give you some warnings so you don't think that someone's sneaking up behind you while you listen or something. Anyhow, with that out of the way, I hope you enjoy the episode. have fun somehow all right i guess we can get started with the episode and stop talking about ayahuasca and other you know what forms of stop trying to like pigeonhole this blog look at this blog (laughs) it's a great start you know this talking blog there's a word for it (laughs) a talog a talog a tog uh okay uh hello everyone i am jason and i'm laura and welcome to come back a star a movie award Cover up. We are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this episode is number 009, Alibi. Alibi by Roland West. All right. And uh, do you remember off the top of your head who's the star of this? Uh, Yes, I guess. Well, you know, it's weird because there's not really a single star. Uh, it That's is kind true. of an ensemble piece. I guess our heavy Chick Williams is played by Chester Morris. Uh, virtuous lead Joan Manning is Eleanor Griffiths. And the rest. And the rest. All right. Tell uh, us about Alibi, Jason. <laughs> yeah, let's start off with the summary and then we'll go on to rating it uh, just for people who are just starting the podcast on this episode. Uh, What we do is that we first kind of summarize and talk about the movie, providing very deep insights or talking about pig chases. Yeah, no Uh, pig chase. This will score very low in pig chases. This is true. And after that, we rate the movie on acting, cinematography, writing and overall. And that's how those three elements work together. And then we give uh, some bonus points out for costumes and set boldness, which is kind of how many risks the movie takes and how well that works out legacy, which is kind of what the movie provides for later movies and longevity, how well the movie stands up over time and technical, which is a new category that we put in for the sound era just to capture those little Those little effects that can at least bolster a movie a little bit. Just a little. Okay, so let's talk about the opening of Alibi, which I actually really liked. It really raised my hopes for for this movie. I'm on the fence about it, but I do believe it was an improvement from our last two. Yeah, actually, we are going to get into rating, but how how do you feel going into this on a rating of Hollywood Review to Seventh Heaven? Oh, God. Um, Substantially lower, of course, than Seventh Heaven, but leagues above Hollywood Review. Somewhere kind of in the lower middle range. Yeah, I'm I'm predicting maybe a touch above in old Arizona. Yes, it's marginally less offensive than in old Arizona. So that's got that going for it. And it's got, I think, just a better mood and atmosphere. So, yes, definitely a little bit better than in old Arizona, but I'm not going to say a heck of a lot better. Yeah, it gets kind of, it kind of loses its way a little bit. And I, yeah, I have problems with it that I'll go more in depth with just being picky, but. It does feature our first uh, actor who is African-American in a role where they're just the person. Uh, For all one line. Yeah. Yeah. It's disappointing, but. At least it happened. At least it happened. So <laughs> progress. Am I right? Oof. Painfully slow. Painfully slow. Glacially slow. All right. So the movie opens with an eerie shot of prisoners lining up for parole. One of these prisoners is Chick Williams, played by Chester Morris. From the stark sparseness of the prison setting, we're whisked away to a place called Bachman's, a nightclub with plenty of dancing girls. And... This place is introduced by probably the best shot in the movie, which is a kind of a low bar. (laughs) 
but it there is a a good tracking shot into yes. the club that kind of establishes it and establishes some great choreography. Yeah, I do like the contrast of it's it's almost kind of reminded me of like the beginning of Metropolis in uh the first prison scene and just the kind of robotic uh and monochrome look of the prisoners lighting up and very sad to suddenly, hey, lively nightclub with lots of dancing dames. So it was, yeah, it was actually cool. that contrast was pretty good. I, I like that comparison. Uh I should also talk about how this movie was originally a silent movie that they then filmed, re- yeah. then they then re-recorded with sound. I think they refilmed it from what I understand. So I would like to see the uh silent version because I have a feeling it's a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, probably. I but I'm jumping ahead there. Uh, well, we'll get we'll dissect the quality in a bit. Right. And oh, we should also speaking of Hollywood review. There is a lot of choreography and and dancing girls in this movie. And I think we both agreed that the choreography is better, which is kind of amusing considering it's a gangster movie compared to Hollywood Review, which Which was about the dancing. All about that. Yeah. Like the dancers in this actually like kind of danced in sync and uh, had choreography. And it doesn't feel like Hollywood Review had that too much it just wasn't as as tightly done yeah it seems like like i said in the hollywood review recording (laughs) it all came across like a very hectic final dress rehearsal whereas the dancing in this movie actually seemed like they were performing yeah it was it was pretty good i'll I'll give i'll give alibi that yeah uh so getting back to this nightclub Chick is reacquainting himself with uh, Bachman, who owns the club and who proclaims Chick was framed and that uh, Bachman will get him a good job. And at this point, what I'm thinking is the protagonist. Well, is he really a protagonist? Not really. We don't know at this point, really. Yeah. You know, he's handsome and that's about it. He's yeah. a handsome guy. There's there's Chick Williams, who is handsome and I, at this point, was pretty convinced that he was going to be someone who goes on the uh, on the straight and narrow and that he was going to be uh, he was going to be framed for whatever this alibi issue was going to come up. Yeah. Also supporting Chick is the virtuous Joe Joan Manning, played by Eleanor Griffiths. Her honest affection for Chick is contrasted with uh, a miserable, smart, elicky Daisy, who is played by Mae Bush, and she is the partner of Bachman. Yes, um, she it's later revealed that she like left her her husband and family to be with him. And I can't think it was because it was a love match. It must have been because of the money and glamour, because Bachman's not too lovable a character. No, he's really mean to her and he's really rude and just generally not terribly likable. He's. I guess, nice to Chick Williams, and that would be it. I think he's very nice to his associates who bring him <coughs> some dough. Yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, so Daisy, uh, his partner or girlfriend, is in this kind of like reluctant relationship with him. And Bachman's incredibly selfish. He's played by Harry Stubbs, by the way. And Bachman seems to be just kind of tired of her by the time that we are introduced to them. He's far more interested in his dinner than with paying attention to her or dancing with her. Oh, yeah. That's the big crux of the whole issue is that Chick Williams and uh, Joan get up to dance and Daisy says like, hey, why don't we dance too? And the uh, Bachman character is not interested in it. He also seems considerably older than all of them. Right. He's like this old, older nightclub owning mob boss, basically. Yeah. A bit a bit of a sleazeball. Oh, just a bit. Daisy as a character is not too relevant to the plot, uh, but her cranky heartbreak is a reminder of the jaded world we're in. That Joan is also in her infatuation with Chick is kind of blind to this criminal world. And I don't even know if she understands it as a criminal world. It's more of a fun nightclub world. Right. She definitely kind of views the world around her through 
rose-colored glasses, especially when it comes to Chick. That's true. And this is despite her having one of the best icy stares. You don't want to cross Joan. You don't. She's got a stare. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting contrast where she has this very uh, trusting nature, but at the same time, she constantly gets betrayed by various people. And she responds by staring daggers into them very effectively, killing them right there. Also at the nightclub, there is a leering drunk named Danny McGann, who is known as a stockbroker to Bachman and his associates, but we later learn is not all that he seems. No, I mean, at first he just seems like a drunk psychopath. Yeah, he's a creep. He's Uh, definitely a creep. He walks up to Joan and says, like, hey, let me show you a trick. Write down your address. And she very reluctantly does. Yeah, and then he just takes her address and is, I guess that's the trick, is that he got her address? Yep, that's what she, that's what she, that's what he says. I guess this is the early days of the telephone still. Yeah, no, I mean. You, you don't try to get a lady's number, you try to get her address, her which ad- is terrifying. <sighs> oh, golly. <laughs> Progress, like I said. Yeah, thank goodness we're past those days where... You know, you go to hang out at a nightclub and maybe you find someone attractive and you have to ask for their address. Yeah, I mean, now they can just, you know, stalk you on Facebook, which stores all our data and uh, find us that way. All all your data except for your address. Oh, I'm sure there are ways. Uh, Yeah, you're you're well acquainted with the dark web, so I'm sure there are ways. I'm I'm the expert, (laughs) resident expert of the dark webs. Absolutely. The fact that you made webs plural proves that. Yes. Well, I mean, those of us in the know know it's an intricate network of plural webs. (laughs) Okay. So in after the nightclub scene and we see Chick being promised a good job and we don't see that specified. Nope. uh, We learn that Joan is the daughter of a policeman named Sergeant Pete Manning played by Purnell Pratt. And he wants his daughter to marry Detective Sergeant Tommy McGlennon, Tommy Glennon, excuse me, who has loved Joan since they were children together. And she lets Tommy know in no uncertain terms that she despises policemen. And they get into a fight. Um, well, she gets into a fight with her father over her relationship with Chick, the newly released criminal. and. What kind of made me find this movie intriguing at the start was that she very convincingly responds to Tommy saying, well, someone's got to uphold the law. And to which she responds, well, what about all of your browbeating confessions out of people? And where's the law in that? She in this era of defund the police, she is definitely the most relatable character. She says straight up, I don't like police officers. Yeah, my dad is one, but he's a jerk and he is. Oh, he absolutely is. We're supposed, Yeah, it's so this is where I'm really liking the film, but I don't think it follows through on this premise. And I find that disappointing. Yeah, we will get into it, but we have theories. Yes. After they've had this conversation, is that when her dad just kind of rails on her about, you know, how how can you turn down Tommy? He's such a great guy. And you get the sense at this point that Tommy is meant to be like the one good cop. Yeah. Who's going to treat people fairly and has like some ethics about him because he comes across as a generally good guy. Right. He seems to be honestly in love with Joan and does say that he's willing to resign the police force, mm-hmm. which would please Joan more if she wasn't so in love with chick. So at this point, yeah, I think we're supposed to uh, be seeing Tommy's kind of the uh, balanced middle between uh, firebrand Joan and um, her horrible father. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's yeah. And she was, she was also upfront about loving chick yeah, she doesn't keep that a secret, but her dad still acts like, what? Yeah, he's, 
he's infuriated by her infatuation with Chick and also refers to them as those people. So that's kind of weird and also kind of draws what I was hoping was going to kind of point out this idea that the officers were constantly just kind of labeling people as, you know, those people as criminals just by by definition, the yeah. sort of person who goes out to a nightclub and things like that is just going to be a criminal naturally. But uh, getting back to the plot that night, she joins Chick Bachman and Daisy at the theater and a couple of blocks away, a night watchman slash police officer. It's not super clear. No. Uh, surprises some burglars who are uh, stealing. It looks like fur coats. Something like that. It's never made too clear. They just walk out of a department store with a whole bunch of looks like pelts. <laughs> <laughs> no, the great pelt robbery. It's a, <laughs> are we sure it's not a Canadian film? <gasps> oh, no, then they'd all be Mounties. <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. All, all of the Mounties, not even just the police officers, just all the people in the movie would be Mounties. Except for Joan, who'd look just like Nell. So. Nell. Yep. Uh, <laughs> so uh, this was kind of interesting. The uh, police officer slash night watchman alerts or just calls for reinforcement by like using some kind of Morse code with his nightstick. Yeah, on the pavement which i've never seen before i wondered was this this supposed to be kind of funny or is this something they actually do well i mean it makes sense if you don't have a radio i guess and if there's like anyone within earshot they might pick up on that but what gets me is you know he taps out this message to some cop who hears it who then uses his whistle to get reinforcements it's like why didn't the original cop have a whistle oh that's a good point it was weird i don't get it yeah, maybe maybe the tapping is a little bit more subtle. I don't know. Who knows? But uh, at any rate, uh, as the police officer confronts these uh, burglars, uh, they uh, kind of hold up their hands. They're, you know, they, they've stopped what they're doing. And then someone in the car that's waiting nearby, the car that they were loading with all of these pelts, Uh, You just see a pistol emerge from one of the windows and shoot the police officer in the back. Yep. And it's unclear who that is. And yeah, you kind of assume because you've just seen them at the theater that Chick Williams has to be completely unrelated. But at the same time, what you also saw during the theater scene was Chick Williams checking his watch Mm -hmm. and it being shortly before 10. And then he gets up to leave. And around 10, we later learn is when this police officer was killed. Apparently, back then, they had the science to pinpoint down to the to the minute when someone. Yeah, probably the the cops who uh, came running at the call were probably able to ID the time. Oh, that's right. That's right. But anyway, so the gun appears and the van goes off and that's that's that. Uh, that's the murder that the whole plot kind of surrounds. Um, so the next day at Sergeant Manning's house, this is again uh, Joan's dad. Uh, he and Tommy are convinced that Chick is the killer. On no evidence, just because they don't like him. Yeah, pretty much. Like you don't get a strong sense or at least the movie doesn't convey that properly of why they suspect Chick Williams immediately. I, I do wish there was more background given on everyone's relationships. How did Joan meet Chick Williams? Did he get together with her just to piss off her dad? Like, we don't know. So I wish that that, that is one consistent complaint I have about all these movies. There's just not enough establishment of the mm-hmm. relationships, but a small quibble, small quibble. Yeah, we don't even know exactly what he was accused of first we just know that it's uh it's proposed that he was framed for his first uh for his first crime and that the gun that was that put him away was planted on him Uh, yeah that sounds that sounds right they're convinced uh tommy and sergeant manning are convinced that chick is the killer they bring in danny the drunken creep from the earlier scene, who is, in fact, an undercover cop. 
da, da, da. And I wasn't entirely sure if he was an undercover detective or if he wanted to be one. Right. I. It's one of those things where I'm sure they probably explained it when they first introduced him in the room. But to be honest, it took me a while to realize he was the same guy since they're all like all the white dudes are brunette are like have brown hair and are in suits. So it's hard to tell them all apart. I remember because he was, he was the one with curly hair. Oh, see, I didn't even notice that part. Uh, <laughs> he I, yeah, I thought he was Tommy for a long time until I realized, oh, wait, no. Hey, he looks familiar. Is that the guy? Is that the creep? So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think he's supposed to be have been on the force for a while because we find out later he has like an established camaraderie with Tommy. But that could just be because he's been trying to insinuate himself for so long. I don't yeah. think it's made too clear. Well, and he talks about always wanting to be a cop, but that or that, a detective or maybe. a detective. And I wasn't clear, at least if that meant that. Oh, I've always wanted to be a detective and now I am. Or or will this hopefully that, get me yeah. that? Yeah. 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 Uh, anyways, he has a really creepy smile, too. He does. He does. He's kind of kind of just a creepy guy. I mean, he does a very good job. I, you know, I well, again, I won't jump right ahead to my criticisms, but I do think he probably gives one of the more, the best performances. But, mm. you know, it's creepy. It is very creepy. Uh, so I don't know if that's really what he was going for while he acted, but he's, it was effectively creepy. He's just not, that. not a convincing drunk when he tries to play drunk to me. He just comes off like someone who's deeply deranged. Oh, that's a, it's a good point too. Uh, so anyways, they, they bring in this undercover police officer and he is talking, you know, just like perfectly normally, well, normally for him. <laughs> And uh, when Joan enters, though, he puts the he puts on the drunk act again, even though to me it seemed like it was morning. Well, you know, <laughs> he is playing a hopeless drunk who says it's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, I guess that I guess that makes sense. Uh, he so he puts on the drunk act when when Joan enters, uh, trying to convince her that he simply is following up on creepily obtaining her address earlier and instead ran into Tommy and her dad who are apparently perfectly okay with this within this uh, story that he's constructed that yeah this this random uh wino is showing up at their doorstep looking for his daughter yeah like Joan's dad at first was like wait you know each other but doesn't really follow up I think because you know he realizes oh better not blow his cover but this is weird mm-hmm Eventually, Tommy gets Jane, uh, Jane. Eventually, Tommy gets Joan alone and promise her that he will resign the force uh, as soon as they resolve this one case that the the murder that we just talked yeah, about. Yeah, the one that'll hopefully put your boyfriend away. <laughs> yeah, well, there's that, too. And uh, Joan uh, comes back and says it's too late. Uh, and everything comes to a head when Daisy and Chick show up to take her away for the weekend. And Joan reveals that Chick couldn't be guilty because they were at the theater at the time together. And she also confesses to her father and Tommy that she and Chick were married the night before. Yeah. Twist. And again, still at this point, I'm thinking like, heck yeah, there we go. Yeah. She's she's taking control of her own life. And Chick is maybe not that bad of a guy. He hasn't shown himself to be a bad person so far. But if we take one thing away from from this, maybe don't let women trust their own judgment. Oh, uh, yeah. I haven't even thought of that angle, but you're absolutely correct. I'm just bitter. <laughs> oh, yeah. So after announcing that she's been married, her dad takes... You know, the very reasonable uh, response to like shove her and lock her into her own room, which is, well, kidnapping. So that's kidnapping. She's an adult. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, she just escapes out the window. Yeah, like just immediately. And like, (laughs) I love it. Her dad is an idiot. So he enters her like the window is wide open. And he's like, where'd she go? And like runs to her closet, like looks under the bed. It's like. (laughs) 
how how did you, how are you a cop <laughs> he's he we never specified that he was a good one i, can't, I mean he just made sergeant somehow yeah, well he probably is a good cop and that by their definition he has a hair trigger temper and just immediately assumes the guy dating his daughter is no good so yeah he's stand, stand up citizen stand up upholder of the law oh gosh so um enraged her father locks locks her in a room and when she escapes out the window he vows to catch chick and make him pay not for the shooting but for marrying his daughter pretty much is the sense that you get no yeah it's all personal and this is like uh, this is why the movie gets kind of muddied and weird is because y- you're kind of rooting at least i was for chick and joan at yeah, this totally point was. because her dad is obviously a, a hot-headed psychopath mm-hmm. and uh tommy is not that much better i mean he basically voices the same opinions but in a quieter voice yeah we find out later on you know tommy i thought at this point that yeah he was like the good cop but my opinion changed <laughs> Yeah, um, and it changes right here mm-hmm. because back at headquarters, Manning and Tommy subject gans- gangster uh, Soft Malone, played by Elmer Ballard, to psychological torture. Uh, what they do in order to kind of get him to squeal is uh, they threaten to stage his murder so it looks like he's trying to escape. They basically say, here, hold this gun, and he terrifyingly agrees, and they said, like, okay, now your fingerprints are on this gun and we've opened the window. We'll say that you tried to escape and that you shot at the sergeant and then he shot you and then you'll be dead. Yeah. They say, so who, uh, you know, who killed him? Who killed him? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know. And they shoot the gun at the floor and say, well, that was your shot. And, you know, letting him know that next we're going to kill you. And it's terrifying. I, I'm going to make the highly controversial um, statement that tor- torture doesn't work. So they're going to say whatever Mm -hmm. they think you want them to say. Yeah. And he does. He does. He absolutely does. And uh, there's some pretty cool like little cinematography uh, moments here where they're basically torturing this poor guy. Yeah. And he's losing it, understandably. And he kind of like you see his his uh, kind of like his head spinning and the sergeant's uh, I don't know how, how to describe it a little bit. Kind of, uh, you get from a soft Malone's point of view, kind of a double vision where you see the, uh, the faces of, uh, Tommy and Manning kind of a doubling and tripling even, and kind of spinning towards him. Yeah. It is hard to describe, but it's very disorienting and, uh, unsettling. Yeah. He's, um, Tommy's not a good person. No, but the movie seems to think so. And that'll be my, chief complaint out of all this but again look at me skipping ahead skipping (laughs) merrily down the line right and at this point because of that i'm still i was still in the mind space of well clearly they're showing the police officers as not being terribly good so this is actually rating high on boldness at this point in kind of talking about the corrupt officers and how they're not getting legitimate confessions out of people i think if you were to show this movie today, that's kind, that's definitely the direction that most people would assume it's going in. Yeah. Uh, so anyways, they they do get a, a confession, somehow a correct confession out of Soft Malone while he's terrified. And he says that Chick did, in fact, kill the police officer during the intermission at the theater. So Chick's alibi, which is the title of the movie. <gasps> I just got it. <laughs> His alibi has been that he was at the theater with Joan, so he couldn't possibly have gone out and murdered this person. And but this soft Malone is saying that, well, he went out and did this during the intermission, which makes zero sense. I guess that we do see a scene where they uh, the cops time how long it would take to get from the theater to uh, the scene of the crime. And I guess it does. It is. It fits right into the, the time frame. But I think it's. Quite the risk that Chick took. And yeah, does it make a lot of logical sense? To it, me? It's quite forced because he didn't know that the officers were going to catch them. So how would he know to hide inside the car to shoot this person 
within the 10 minutes that he had Ugh. allowed himself. It's a bit of a plot contrivance is my. Yeah, it's like they timed this entire heist to 10 minutes and then went through the trouble of making it within the window of this intermission at this theater show. Yeah. And also, apparently, the theater works like clockwork and they know exactly when the intermission is about to happen. Well, you know, usually intermissions go a little bit over. So uh, he probably assumed he was safe. Who knows? Yeah, but their start time, like my experience with the theater is that it's never quite on time. Good point. The start time. Well, when Chick Williams goes to the theater, you better believe the play starts on time. time. Oh, gosh. Uh. Right. So uh, Chick grows wise to Malone's testimony. So he he learns. Do we know how? No, I think it's just through the grapevine. Or once again, I missed it. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's also a possibility, too. Uh, so what Chick does is he goes out and he finds Bachman to get some help. And what he needs is someone reliable who the police will trust to testify that uh, Chick called this person during intermission. And they choose uh, the creepy smiler, Danny, who is only too happy to play along because he is a secret officer, at least informant. I, again, question the logic of using this, what, you know, absolute leering lech of a drunk to be their reliable ear witness but he's a stockbroker or something in their mind so that automatically equates with respectability and i guess chick did see them in in the officer's room and he seemed to be getting along okay well that's a good point yeah that's a good point despite being drunk which again that i don't know there's a lot that doesn't add up about this movie it's i feel like it really it started off interestingly and then just kind of spirals out of control like specifically at this point yeah everything is just a little too contrived to fit the narrative they wanted to tell and doesn't quite pass muster no not quite uh so let's see where were we ah to george stanislaus david that's who we where we are all right so uh Danny decides he's only too happy to play along, and he calls his good friend George Stanislaus David. Stanislaus. Stanislaus David. Stanislaus. One good part, I think, is when Chick says, I don't like that middle name. And uh, and Danny's like, neither do I. Interesting. So George Stanislaus David is the name that the undercover officers apparently use when calling headquarters. And... What happens is the phone call goes to this guy who you only see like just kind of waiting by the phone. And he's clearly like some sort of detective that stays in this one room all the time. It's a living. I, I guess so. So he hears the phone who walks over to the little phone booth and, uh, you know, here's here's the call for backup, basically. And uh, so the undercover officers. uh Work together, round up the round up the rest of the cops to kind of raid this nightclub. And uh, Danny goes back to the dance floor to uh, canoodle with the with the singer. And this is another part where we get a good nightclub scene with some good choreography and uh, not bad singing either. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's see. So Joan enters at this point and asks uh, Chick where he's been. Chick convinces her that her father is trying to frame him, which, to be fair, he is. He is. No one is a good guy in this. But uh, Joan believes that she can talk sense to Tommy, her childhood friend. So maybe now the kind of the the ruse that they're planning to do with Danny is that also uh, that Chick called him in order to get him to be his best man at his wedding the the secret wedding to Joan, which again makes very little sense. I don't know how they plan to get away with this because those two obviously don't like each other. It would have been a lot easier to make the alibi. I called him for literally anything else. Anything else? Maybe some stock tips. He's like a stockbroker, <laughs> but or just check up on how he's doing. I yeah, we're is he sobering up? It's easy to get bogged down in the minutia details <laughs> because it doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. 
so Joan, uh, after she says, like, I'm, I'm going to talk some sense into Tommy, she picks up the phone and again asks for George Stanislas David. Right where and Chick and Bachman are standing right there and hear that. Yeah. And she even explains to the dumbfounded Chick and Bachman who that really is. And Chick tells her to go to Bachman's and that she'll meet her with her there later. Meaning um, by Bachman's, I mean. His, his actual, yeah, his yeah. actual home, not not the nightclub. His actual and abode. They, they're like, oh yeah, I'll wait here for Tommy to get here. We'll be swell friends and come meet with you later. And of course, Chick and Bachman, after hearing the George Stanislaus David, are like, oh, mm-hmm. we get it now. And they are pretty angry at one Danny McGann. This is true. So uh, Chick and some enforcers get Danny alone in this room that they've been talking in. It's kind of like a private suite in the uh in the nightclub with a really cool door yes with the a really cool door the design is so art deco wacky mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's it's like got layers on it or something and like diamond shapes that you could twist and turn to like see people at the door it's cool yeah it is really cool i will say that the the art deco decor is pretty amazing yeah the movie. sets the sets are going to get some some bonus points oh, for yes, sure oh yes definitely uh so they they get Danny alone in this room, and after a tense converse, confrontation, conversation. Oh, that too. That too, I guess. Uh, Danny wrestles the gun away from one of the gangsters. Uh, however, at this moment, his girlfriend re-enters and distracts uh, Danny. So at that point, uh, that allows Chick to shoot him in the back as he turns around to deal with his girlfriend. It's kind of Chick's uh, trademark to shoot people in the back. Yeah, which uh, apparently is cowardly when you're being threatened with a gun. <laughs> Call me a coward then, because I do the same. Uh, so, yeah, now he's shot Danny as well. Um, and uh, Chick flees just before Manning and Tommy enter, and Danny dies in Tommy's arms in what felt like the world's longest death scene. Uh, well, see, and again, it would have been so much more effective if there had been an established relationship between him and Tommy. It's like, we got like that scene earlier. It was like, Hey, this is Danny as he introduces him to, to uh, Joan's dad, but there's no real like deep friendship established. And suddenly Danny is, or Tommy is heartbroken holding Danny in his arms who just, yeah, takes forever to die and still has that creepy smile on his face. It's not the deep relationship that we get, for example, in the room between Denny and Tommy. No. (laughs) I just realized that those two names matched up. Oh, no, you're (laughs) right. Oh, 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 if only Danny hadn't, you know, pissed off Zac Efron. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so... uh, Yeah, Tommy enters, says, oh, hi, Denny, and Denny... (laughs) takes forever to die and, you know, in his arms. Again, good cinematography, I think, because there's like a spotlight that like, I think grows more profound on Danny's face as he's dying and Tommy and Manning around him kind of grow darker around him as he's fading. So that's a cool shot. If only we had more emotional attachment to his character and his relationship to the cops. Yeah, if he wasn't unlikable. If he wasn't unlikable, oh, how good the scene would have been. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, Tommy uh, vows revenge on Chick yelling Mendoza to the Uh, skies. Pretty much. (laughs) Uh, The news spreads fast. And back at the Bachman's home, uh, Bachman is bullying Daisy to pack their things because obviously the the heat's on. Yeah. And this is like Daisy's big scene where she says, because he basically just throws her against a wall and she hits her head up real good. And mm. she's like, we see kind of a more human element throughout. She's been kind of acting the tough gangsters uh, mall. And now she's like really kind of shows this vulnerable side here. Like, I gave up everything for you. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, I don't give a crap. Yeah, she tries to confront him um, to varying degrees of success. Uh, but you you're rooting for her. Yeah, she, but, she doesn't deserve to get thrown against the wall. But again, her character arc certainly doesn't seem to go anywhere. So it's yeah, kind of, yeah, it just kind of picks up and drops. I, I mean, I guess it's just an example of the kind of people who get sucked into this whirlpool. Maybe a, an image of what Joan might become mm-hmm. if she uh, 
decides to be as devoted to Chick. But we yeah. shall see. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Speaking of Joan, she comes back in. Right, right. Bachman tells Joan not to phone anybody. But once uh, he's out of the room, she tries to call Tommy immediately. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that Joan is her own woman in this. She's not going to let anybody boss her around. Sure, that gets her into trouble, but at least it's trouble on her own terms. That's true. And uh, just as she tells the police at the headquarters where she is, an angry chick enters and orders her to stop talking on the phone and to come with him. He admits his crime and tells her that she's a crook's wife. Who will do as she's told. And that's when she gives her trademark icy, icy stare. Yeah, the scales fall dramatically from her eyes. Oh, she's so effective at that glare. Yeah, Eleanor Griffiths has got a great facial expression. Mm-hmm. Which, again, that might be part of the reason why she was uh, cast in this as a silent movie. Yeah. There are certain moments where it really does... Sh- you can tell that there are moments when this is the transitional era between sound and they act silent. So, they act so much more ably with their faces than with their vocal inflections at this point. Yeah, at least some of them. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure they were all, all the talkie stars were coached very closely once sound came. But this was made the same year as sound came onto the scene, really. So they did not have a lot of time. And I mean, I guess we can talk about this a little bit in the rounds as well, but I do get the feeling like, for example, uh, Danny's overlong death scene. I think part of it was they were trying to express in vocalized words what would have been a very short shot in in a silent movie. Yeah, Um, because it's line after line after line as he's dying and i feel i just feel like in a silent movie a lot of these uh, scenes would have been tighter yeah they or else because it was there would have been no dialogue we could have just focused more on the expressions on his face Mm -hmm. and it wouldn't have seemed as long in a weird way whereas with this the talking everything was so slow paced and pauses between the senses it was just kind of like okay he's dying okay he's still grinning while he's dying he's still grinning it's creepy they're not they don't want it to be creepy but that's how it's coming off so there you go yeah well joan gives the icy stare and uh once again uh tommy and sergeant manning enter the room and chick hides in a bedroom or a closet or something like that room i'm pretty sure but a closed Uh, door a closed door there you go uh joan is standing guard by the door because obviously she doesn't want the police to storm in and kill her husband um and so what happens is at first chick tries to shoot whoever it is standing outside the door who i think tommy identifies himself so he just tried to shoot him through the door um but he misses uh, and the police officers respond by getting a Tommy gun and yeah. just shooting up the door. Just shooting the hell out of it. Uh, which is bad. Yeah, none of this is good. That That's a, that's a high probability of murder, but somehow, uh, somehow Chick uh, gets out of the way and survives and gives up. I guess that's kind of, again, I don't know where it, viewpoint this movie is kind of coming from because that's terrifying but i don't know if we're supposed to think like and that's how they get them out of the out of the room that that dirty rat no, shootings people in the back unfortunately i think that is what they're going for and i think even with the whole psychological torment they put soft malone through is supposed to be like well but it got them on the path to check so i honestly i hate to say it i think the movie is more on the cop side than not which is disappointing a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like the comic books of the 80s where the Punisher is going around and, mm-hmm. and making those criminals really pay. Yeah. Uh, so very death wish. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so after the, the shootout at the closed door, uh, Chick surrenders and comes out and Tommy dismisses all the other officers, which is scary. 
especially because they all probably know at this point he's now got a personal vendetta against Chick. And uh, Chick flies into hysterics when Tommy says he's going to shoot him in the back, just like uh, just like he did to Danny. And at this point, I'm also pretty convinced that uh, that Tommy's going to do this. Yeah, because and I, I kind of figure that's how the movie would end is, you know, showing off how this person is also. Also, not that great. I thought we were going to go in a in a direction of the racket where the police are not shown to be in the best light as well as the criminals. But uh, no, they they pull back that punch. And uh, after Chick is begging for his life and says, I'll, I'll leave Joan, I'll leave her alone. Like, just just put me away. Just don't shoot me. And uh, finally, the gun goes off. And Chick uh, goes down and then we later find out as the other officers enter the room that Tommy was only firing blanks at him and Chick fainted. Yeah, they they call uh, Chick a wuss basically for for uh, fainting at the prospect of yeah, dying. Just a bunch of police officers laughing at a uh, terrorized man that they've got uh, on his at his most vulnerable. It's cool. <laughs> uh, so um, they've they've got Chick cowed and terrified. And now I guess they have him in custody of sorts. I don't think they have the cuffs on him, though. No, not yet. Uh, because uh, Chick is able to turn off the light and then there's chaos because no one can see anything. And he uh, very dramatically throws like a chair through the window, escapes out the window and uh, escapes the rooftops. And he tries to jump from one rooftop to the next and just makes the jump and then stumbles backwards and falls to his death. Yeah. And the stunned Joan lets Tommy lead her down from the roof after seeing her husband die. Yes. So I have to say that was a, pretty effective ending i thought uh Mm. you know he just makes the jump but then immediately falls backwards which is realistic Uh (laughs) i think uh like yeah gravity is the real uh, mover and shaker of this movie so that's uh that's alibi what Mm. do we say about alibi yeah let's get into uh some rating here how did we feel about the acting i didn't like the acting overall Mm. I liked, I do think, uh, Danny McGann, uh, he, I thought he did a pretty reasonable job, although he came off, like I said, more as a leering pervert who's slightly deranged than a drunk when he's not even supposed to be a drunk, but at least a convincing drunk. But I do, I feel like, you know, I'm spoiled in that I have seen, you know, Public Enemy with Jimmy Cagney and Little Caesar with Edward G. Robinson and, these actors were not Edward G. Robinson or Jimmy Cagney. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them were very good, I thought. I hate to say it. I they, The pacing was off with all their lines. They all came off just very stiff. So I'm going to give it a four. That's interesting because that's exactly what I just wrote down for myself. Uh, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like the world's worst or anything like that. It just was below average i think that i think especially chester morris and eleanor griffiths were probably just fantastic silent film actors exactly because they have great expressions i've already talked about uh griffiths as joan with her wonderful icy stare but also you know chick has abled he he's a got a very like memorable face like handsome mm-hmm. and very chiseled but can turn just very scary yeah you can very a- much believe he's like an evil psychopath yeah, he he has a a winning smile that turns into quite the scowl. Exactly. So, but when it came to the voice, they were both pretty monotone. The delivery yeah, was great. Yeah, you could tell you could tell that there was a struggle with the shift. Yes. From silent to to talky and the lines weren't delivered sometimes not very audibly. Yeah. And uh that could be also a function of the early technology and some mm-hmm. people's voices just interacting with the microphone better than absolutely yeah than others but i think also probably some of them were more used to voice acting than others yeah 
Okay, so we have a four each on acting. How about the writing? The writing left a little to be desired, I think, mm-hmm. in establishing relationships. And I'm also just personally disappointed in the direction the movie went in. I thought it was going to be uh, more on Joan's side in the beginning of revealing the corruption in the police force. And it did, but seemed to be on the police force's side. Um, yeah, corruption is good is kind of a Corruption thing. is good because it gets results. Yeah. Who cares if they're incorrect results because someone was so terrified they just said whatever we wanted to hear. It got mm. somebody put away. Uh, so I'm going to... It was still better than the acting, so I'll give it a five. Better than... Okay. That's interesting because I thought it was a little bit worse than the acting. Oh, okay. Um, but that's just me. I'm going to give it a three. Okay. I mean, that's um, not unfair. And also, I have a theory that I want to voice here about the writing. All right. I think considering the first half and how different it feels from the second half and the second half being kind of disjointed and uh, kind of all over the place, I would not be surprised if there was some kind of censorship going on and that maybe originally the plot was a little bit more critical of the strong arm tactics that the police were using. But again, that's something where I probably should read up on the era and how people's attitudes were towards both uh, both criminals and and officers. Right. I kind of assumed going in that we were still in an era where um, criminal reform is really believed in. Right. And yeah. This seems to be a real step backwards and uh, on that front, which mm-hmm. is disappointing. But anyway, that's just my theory. I like it. Yeah. Um, let's see. Cinematography. Ah, I liked it. You I liked it, it. Yeah, I think it did really well. Um, <laughs> like the dancing scenes are so much better than in Hollywood Review. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's the cool tracking shot. Uh, the interrogation scene with Soft Malone and the double vision. And uh, Danny's death scene with the contrast in the lights. And I think the uh, climactic rooftop scene is also pretty well oh shot yeah, too. you're so, right. Yeah, um, I'll give it a, I'll give it a seven. I think I'm going to match your seven. Okay. On there, um, partly because I want it to be in old Arizona on that front. I think it, it just it was just better. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, the the shots that were interesting were definitely interesting, and they didn't devolve too much into static shots Mm-mm. that we've criticized earlier movies for. Uh. They had some good close-ups and some pretty interestingly imagined uh, shots along with, like, the long death scene that I keep bringing up. Um, there were some interesting shots in there. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah, there was. it was definitely sort of a pre-noir feel to it in some yeah, shots. Yeah, there really was, like, the the gun emerging from the car. Yeah, that was spooky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So overall, how do these elements work together? Um, what are your thoughts? Um, hmm. I was hoping I would like this more than I did, just because I was not enthused by Hollywood Review and uh, in old Arizona. But I feel like it just kind of fell flat overall. Um but, you know, there were some very memorable shots and a somewhat compelling plot. So I guess I will give it a five right in the middle of the road. Five? Yeah. How about you? I'm I'm right along with you. I really had higher hopes for this, just like starting from the very first scene of being like, all right. So they have like a statement with, yeah. with the, the nightsticks clacking and the bell ringing and the people walking in unison. I was like, all right, so this is going to be a movie that tries to express something. Whereas in old Arizona and Hollywood Review didn't really have have that. And I feel like the first third or so was engaging. Mm -hmm. And they were really bringing all together these different elements, albeit with uh, some some problems. Things like that. It wasn't perfect. But. Again, just in the middle and the end, it kind of spiraled out of control and lost what it was really, whatever it was really going for. It, it was just too got, got lost. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
And that's why I'm, I think I'll match your five. Okay. Not just because that's easy to add up, <laughs> five and five. It's all about the easy math. That's our corruption. <laughs> uh, so what did we think about the costumes and sets? Oh, this will probably get uh, oh. full five for me. I liked them. All right. Oh, and now's the time for our bonus rounds. Oh, this is the bonus rounds, right? Yeah. Okay. Now, now we're starting right. the bonus rounds. And so how did you feel about costumes and set? Uh, I loved them. I thought they were all great. Uh, the dancers were dressed fun. I thought the sets were really great. Um, I, you know, the art, whole art deco design of the nightclub was like crazy mm-hmm. and uh just contributed to this feeling that, like I said, the kind of pre-noir and also kind of reminded me of stuff like uh, uh, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari and Metropolis and that it was so stylized almost. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'll give, I'll give it the full amount. Yeah, the style of the time. So you're going to give it a full five uh, bonus points? Yeah. All right. I am going to give it um, I'm going to give it four. Maybe not full marks. I don't know why. I'm probably being too generous, but I felt like I ragged on it too much. So now I'm trying to make up for it. But no, I think it's fair. I thought it's it's the kind of thing I, I love seeing in old movies. It's the kind of. Yeah. And that door was really cool. That door, man. With the very, it wasn't so much a peephole as a peep window. Yes. But it was cool. as like a series of concentric diamonds and the middle diamond opened up so you could look through it. I know. It was, it was crazy. It was pretty cool. Uh, boldness. I think the problem with like determining how bold this movie is, is that it's difficult to see what it's trying to say. That's the thing. I'm going to give it pretty low on boldness because I think they chickened out from mm. uh, really going bold with it and really uh, underlining the fact that the cops are pieces of crap. Uh, they instead seem to be trying to say like, uh, you know, Joan's missing the point when she criticizes them pressuring people into confessions because without those confessions, we wouldn't catch the bad guys. So I'm not going to give it anything for boldness. Oh, nothing. Okay. okay. I'm going to give it two points because I do feel like they they did try to show like just how terrifying these people are. And I guess you're right. It is a benefit of the doubt. It wasn't clear. It's yeah, that's the thing. Um, it, it's just too ambiguous what they were going for. All right. Uh, so zero from you and a two from me. Not not too many bonus points there. Uh, legacy. Do you think that this really influenced uh, later movies? And <gasps> my response is maybe. I don't know how I... exactly. I think maybe they encouraged future filmmakers to do the crime genre better because, you know, a few years later we got Public Enemy. But I, you know, we've seen The Racket, which I think was a better movie than this. So this certainly didn't start anything. Right, right. It didn't. And I feel like it didn't know what it was. I hate to do it, man. I think I'm going to give it another donut. Oh, no. Yeah. A zero. Zero. I'm going to give it one. Because I do think, and we'll get into this a little bit with technical, I guess, but I do think that like a lot of the shots and the ways that they film dialogue, even though it had mixed success, based off of the ones that we've watched so far, the sound was the best here. I mean, it was, and I can yeah. I can see that being a, a learning process, and maybe I'm going to give it one point. Yeah, for it, that's fair. Um, I understand the I understand the zeros though. Yeah. All right. And longevity. How did this hold up? Not too great. I'm trying to think of some kind of lore it would have. I mean, I think for people who do like the style of like the late twenties, uh, you know, would love to see it. And I you know, good cinematography that I think holds up. So I guess I'll give it, I'll give it a pity one. I mean, I don't think it really, like I said, when you have so many other great uh, gangster films from even before then and a little after, it's totally gets lost in the shuffle. So it doesn't really stand up very well. So a measly one for me. Uh, I guess I'll be slightly more generous. I'm going to give it a two 
And that's mainly because at least compared to the previous two that we did, it didn't make me want to tear out my eyes. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't completely bored or anything like that. So it's like it's it's sufficiently engaging. It really gets muddled at the end, like we keep saying, but I feel like it. I guess it holds up in that it doesn't feel completely antiquated and and weird. It's definitely more modern than uh, in era, old Arizona, which was, you know, took place. It was supposed to be like a period piece mm-hmm. uh, of like 20 years prior. Uh, but so, yeah, it's got a little bit of the edge over in old Arizona in that. But there are just so many better like crime movies around that yeah, time. Yeah, no, yeah, no, absolutely there were. And technical, which by which I think I mean sound. <laughs> um, I'm a little harsher on the sound than you are. I still think it was pretty clunky and the pacing was off, but it was definitely leagues better than in old Arizona. I mean, given old Arizona this, they were trying to do it outside, which no one had done before. So that was cool here. You know, it was done better. And I think they were able to balance that with really cool artistic shots. Um, so, yeah, I guess I'll give it a three. A three? Yeah. I think I'm going to match your three. Okay. Because I feel like uh, all the stuff that you said, a lot of the acting and such as it was and the line delivery was picked up. It felt like a later movie in some in some parts. Hmm. Other times the actor just kind of mumbled or their voice just wasn't picked up by the mic and I it was inaudible. Yeah. Uh, we had a varying degree of people who were comfortable with mm-hmm. uh, with the sound. Yeah. Some people came through perfectly fine. Like, uh, Sergeant Manning it came out loud and clear. Yeah. Mainly, mainly because he shouted everything. Because he was shouting at everyone. Yeah. Okay, so that gives us another six points. And let me just tally this up. And we have a total of 61. That's not shameful. No, it's not. It puts it um, below the circus and ahead of in old Arizona by a long shot, actually. So, yeah, Yeah, um, I mean, I definitely think this would have a broader appeal than in old Arizona just because it's more it feels more mm -hmm. contemporary. It does feel more contemporary, and I feel like, and we didn't say this in the episode, but I want to say it now, an old Arizona was kind of offensive, both artistically and morally. Yeah. <laughs> this um, maybe was just offensive morally on this wishy-washy yeah. stance they took on crime. Like you just, you came across without even knowing, at least I didn't, I think you're right, probably, that they were trying to show, like, you know, they don't play by the book, but they get results yeah. sort of thing. But at the same time, it wasn't that strong of a case for that either. No, it's really hard to tell. And I mean, sometimes it's a good idea to leave that ambiguous, but I just can't tell if they were going for ambiguity. Maybe that's just a fault of my own critical skills. I don't know, but I think that could have been made more explicit. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, the main failings of this movie were, for me, the acting and the pacing and Mm -hmm. the ambiguous message. Everything was too slow and clunky, Mm -hmm. uh, and that includes the acting. And I wish they had taken a clear stance on uh, some moral issues. Uh, What I did like was cinematography, the sets and costumes, and uh, it did good of, I think, keeping things in kind of a tense mood. So Yeah, that that did excel that. But yeah, that's, so that's my overall recap. Yeah. Now, the big question that remains is, will we nominate it for a very prestigious award, the Notsker? I mean, it definitely has it so far over in old Arizona and Hollywood Review. But, uh, you know, we've still got uh, Broadway Melody of 1929 and uh, trailers and uh, clips from The Patriot to go through, which when I was looking it up online does look really intriguing. I'm super bummed. We don't have a full uh, yeah. full length feature to watch. There's yeah. no full version out there. That's something to look forward to uh, next week. Yeah. Um, but I'm feeling no. 
just because I don't want to cheapen the Notsker. I know. I don't I, just, I don't want to give it just because it's better than these other ones that were very poor. Yeah, see, that's why it's hard to say at this point. I think it's just I'm I'm on the fence. I'm on the mm. fence at this moment. Question mm. mark over my scoring. Question mark over your scoring. Yep. Did you want to flip a coin for it? <laughs> uh Yes, why not? Are you going to do an app for that? I'm going to roll a die on an app. Oh, good heavens. <laughs> Kids today. But at the same time, I don't want it to win, so... Uh, and it has to be decided right now? We can't wait until... Well, no, we can... This is our podcast. We can do whatever yeah. we want, so... I want to wait. I'm going to... want to wait? I'll, I'm going to filibuster until next week. Just leave me alone with All the right. mic and I'll just keep going. Uh, let's I see guess if, we'll determine this at our roundup. Let me get, pull up some recipes. I'll just, uh, all the recipes I can find, I'll just read them out until we're ready to go next week. <laughs> uh, so for vegan brownies, uh, you want lots of sugar. Um, I find <laughs> King Arthur flour works best. It's really big right now. I know and trendy, but you got to go for the best. And that's my, that's my little filibuster bit. So, yeah, I guess we can wait for next week or we can wait for the roundup when we cover all the movies just very briefly. And you can if you've decided that you do want to get I think that'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah. We can we can revisit this. We can revisit it. Really uh, go over. Let it cogitate my brain. So that's we'll a big question mark on the Notsker question for Alibi. So the title card for this episode will be the end but with like a big question mark appearing at the bottom oh and exactly i think that's our show for today yeah thank you for um, listening you want to talk about all the uh social networky ways not on the dark webs you can uh reach us at right so we're on twitter at comeback a star and we have a facebook page that mm, hasn't really gotten used too much but maybe you will start seeing some action uh, if you just search for comeback a star you probably should see it come up. Yeah, look for um, a crazy-eyed Greta, uh, Greta Garbo, Clara Bow in the uh, in the header, and uh, that's us. Yep, yep, yep. And um, we don't have any other social media accounts at the moment, but you can download us uh, wherever you've downloaded this episode. For one, uh, <laughs> keep doing that if you want. Uh, and you can get us now on iTunes, Podbean, uh, Spotify. I oh, wow. might work on getting it onto the YouTube. Wow, I didn't know we were on Spotify. This yeah, is, we finally that? passed the uh, five episode mark. So. Oh, we're in the big times now, baby. Yeah, it's very difficult to search for us on there uh, because apparently searching Come Back a Star yields hundreds of results before you actually get to us. Probably a lot I'm, of playlists with those uh, mix of words in them. Yeah, I'm a little bit offended because it's like, oh, well, this well, this entry that has one word that matches that is clearly not the one you're looking for. <laughs> but oh well, we'll 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 get there. We'll get there. Yeah, baby steps. Yeah, if you and also uh, go ahead and share the podcast. Yeah, just just by word of mouth, spread it around. Yeah, so spread around the joy, and yeah. hopefully you've enjoyed this. And I guess until next week, um, we're closing the curtains now and it's going to be curtains for you and Chick. oh no don't shoot me my god in the back why bye-bye bye-bye <laughs>